Hello and welcome back to The Catch. I'm your host, Michael Adams, and I'm joined by a very special Gregorian man, John Rahim. Yes, hello. It's my jazz voice, but it's going to be used today for the Gregorian chant. Yeah, John just uh, recently had a concert, I believe. Is that correct? That is correct. We uh, recorded, since we can't uh, do it live this year, we recorded our Christmas concert the other weekend. And as Michael was noting, there's always some guy in the back who's just going like, oh, and that was me. I was that guy. I was a bass. And so a lot of the parts are just like that monotone one note. Like my notes on my music sheet was just say, ah, say, um, just hold that. And that was all I did. And I was very proud of myself for doing it. I'm always really impressed by those people when I do hear people do chant. Um, Cause they're, they can hold their breath and like sing for so long without breathing. I'm always like, how are you doing this? I know at Newman, when I was there last year, there was, they did some, not Gregorian chant, but more chant like music and more traditional. And um, it was during one that there was this one woman who I don't actually even know who it was, would just do it. And I promised that she would sing one note for 30 seconds without breathing. Oh yeah. We would do breathing exercises and stuff before rehearsal. And there was one guy who used to be, I think like in the metropolitan opera thing in New York or something, he was like an impressive music dude beforehand, but he would hold his breath for like 50 to like a minute, just like holding a note. And we're all like dead after 20 seconds. We're just like, Oh my gosh, I can't breathe anymore. And he's just killing it. So yeah, there are people who have amazing, amazing voices. So I'm not one of those people. Hence why I was just in the background, just saying, ah, a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah here i am you guys are holding your breath for 30 seconds saying the same note and i go underwater for like 10 seconds i'm like please get me up i hate this feeling <laughs> yeah and they're like tucked away in the back like right hand corner so you can't see me they're just kind of like yeah you're you're just there just hold your notebook and look look like you're doing something yeah, you just have to make sound that's it yeah exactly just kind of add to the the chorus so yeah, yeah. but actually speaking of music a a certain pop artist named Billie Eilish released a song the other day called Therefore I Am. I, I have no idea what this song is. Honestly, okay. I, I, when you mentioned that you heard the song earlier, I haven't heard the song. I haven't listened to it. I also don't really listen to Billie Eilish that much. Um, I do like some of her music, but not to the point where I would really ever know that she came out with new music, if that makes sense. Yeah. See, here's what I think happened. So because I study philosophy and I Google things about philosophy, the phrase therefore I am is from a philosopher who I had to write something on the other week for a, for a post. And so the phrase that therefore I am, that's the name of her song. So I think that it came up, Google's like, Oh, you're interested in things about therefore I am. So here's a song by Billie Eilish. So I clicked on it. Cause I was like, Oh, that's weird. Like, why would she name a song that? And I was like listening to it and reading the lyrics. And I was like, Oh, golly. And everyone's like, this song's amazing. And all this stuff and blah, 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 blah. But that phrase is Uber uber problematic and we're going to talk about that today in in some way i can't i don't know how we're going to get there but we're going to talk about how bad that phrase is are we going to talk about the song too or just the phrase <laughs> no just the phrase i don't okay. care about the song okay. i don't even know what the song's about but that phrase is dumb okay very fair fair enough i'm okay with that too so moving right into that um this is coming out on the day after the feast of christ the king um 
So I thought it'd be appropriate to talk about that um, because Advent then is coming up and uh, what does it mean for the king to come and to prepare well for his coming, right? Um, so I just wanted to look at the, the tension that comes up if we have a king and we have our own lives and we tend to um, not follow the king as well as we should. So I want to ask you a little, uh, little question here, quiz you oh, on some uh, biblical knowledge. I, if I, I, it's, very, okay. it's a very large general question. I am nervous. <laughs> I'm open to a variety of answers. Uh, so if I were to ask you, what is the number one sin committed by Israel? in the old Testament? What's the thing that they just keep doing over and over and over again? Oh man. I don't, I, there's like eight different answers I want to give. I also know that probably none of them are right. Just ramble them uh, off. I don't really know. Like don't really know what to call the sin. Um, actually, haha. I do know. Cause I have the answer sheet idolatry (laughs) let's go there it is ding 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 that's a thousand imaginary points for you yes they can be cashed in at any catch register store on the internet so yes idolatry idolatry is the uh the number one sin um sometimes likened to adultery in relationships Mm -hmm. um i think ezekiel's got a pretty and some other prophets use adultery as the kind of like they call israel a prostitute and a whore. Um, yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty they don't sparse their words. Yeah, no. Uh, so, but idolatry, right? Idolatry is the, is the number one sin. So what does it mean to fall into idolatry? I guess is the, is the question we had, we need to ask ourselves, right? So any thoughts about idolatry? Yeah, I think you and I have talked about this before. Um, and I know we've talked about it with various different things, whether it be sports in today's culture or mm. whether it be just people in our lives yeah. um, and usually it comes into just holding them to a higher regard or holding things slash people to a higher regard than necessarily they may deserve to be held to mm. and essentially replacing christ the king on his throne it's essentially taking him off of his throne and replacing him with something else in our life and yeah. putting that in the throne and making that the king per se of our lives yeah i think that's yeah there's just a ton of things like sports and all that and our own will our own desire our own thoughts like those my ideas are they become become idols i think usually when people talk about idolatry right you always hear the you know wealth pleasure power like those are the things that everyone just kind of throws away but those are really general like what the heck does that mean like Mm -hmm. i like make idol or like that my, my power or i make power my idol um Okay, you get money that's a little more specific. Um, but I think uh, it's good to look at ourselves because I think we have a tendency um, to make idols out of ourself. Um, so we become like self-worshipping. Um, and what do I mean by that? I think in a, in a culture that says like, I get to decide when I wake up, you know, what's what's real, what's true what's not like i become god i get to decide all these things basically i self-create i've made myself because look at attack on billy eilish right now um i think if i think these things um and the the phrase comes from like he's thinking like okay 
if I think, therefore I am, I exist. So me thinking as a thinking person, I exist. So just your thought is, is what gives you existence. And we would say, uh, no, you are thought of, therefore you exist. So God is thought of you. God is thought of me. Therefore I exist. Mm-hmm. So we're not self-creating. Um, and it's kind of a ridiculous thing, right? To think that like we can just you know, wake up on a Tuesday morning and say, you know what? I don't think God exists. God's not real. Like it's important that we, we discern that, that question and understand what it means that God is real and to, to wrestle with that. But like, if he's, you know, who are we to say that he's not like, it's just kind of like, it's like an ant being like, you know what? This world's not real. Like that's not a human being. That's not a giant foot coming to crush me. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a preposterous idea. Yeah. But we do it all the time. Yeah, we live in a subjective world right now. I think um, more so in 2020 than ever where truth is no longer the truth and right is no longer the right and wrong is no longer the wrong. Uh, we can wake up on any day and decide what this world is and what we should be viewed at by the world. And you know, again, there's nothing objective in the world anymore. So it seems, and we can fall into a very dangerous mindset. Like you're seeing as the shift of culture moves more and more towards the subjective subjectivism instead of objectivism, we really put ourselves in a dangerous position where suddenly the truth is no longer the truth. And it's hard to distinguish where the line falls. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so, okay, we don't know where the line is then. We have to look at, okay, uh, how do we remedy this situation? Like, what do we need to be doing to um, help cure our modern idolatry? Because it doesn't look the same as it did you know, back then. Back then, they could just be like, okay, we're going to go worship this crazy God um, and take up with these people. But we don't have that so much anymore. Um, I mean, you have people falling away from the church and, and all that. So that's still very present. But where are they falling away to? Most of them aren't going to like another they just don't practice anything, right? They're not going mm-hmm. to a, another church. Uh, and so if that's the case, who are they worshiping? Because you're going to worship something. They're usually worshiping themselves. It's all about me um, and what I want and my desires. Um, and so where this the kingship of Christ comes in, I think is important for us to note is then what is the, the life of a servant, a subject of the king look like? I.e., what is the life of a Christian in today's world look like? It is one who is a subject to the king. So we have to really take seriously this notion of Christ as the king of our lives. Um, so it can't always be, you know, the song like, you can't always get what you want. You know, like you can't <laughs> I know always why, get. I don't know why they put you at the back of your concert. You I know, right? I, golly, so I wanted the solo so badly. Um, but right, we can't always get what we want. But that's not what, you know, our our society tells us. That's not what like our our fallen nature tells us we want to get all the things when things start to impinge upon that, you know, desire and my will to get what I want, then we feel, uh, I think we feel afraid is how I would, I would say it. Um, there might be different reactions to that, but I think fear is definitely one of them where, you know, okay, if I'm not going to get that, then what am I going to get? And I start to get scared about what I'm actually going to get from the King. You know, what's the King going to give me? It might not be good. It might not be as good as I wanted it to be. And this kind of anxiety starts to well up. Right. I don't know if you've ever had that, like that, that feeling come up in any, in, in circumstances in your life, like big or small, but I think it's a real thing. No, I, I have it frequently, I think in decisions and in, in situations in life. And I think oftentimes we tend to, again, self-center ourselves and say, I'm the only one who 
thinks like this or has this. And then you talk to me like, oh, everybody has this. Everybody does this. <laughs> I'm not the odd one out here. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's just a part of being like fallen. Um, and so I think it's because we kind of like, and maybe you have more examples than I do about this, or you can think of more on the spot, but like uh, where we fixate on something, right? Cause we're so fixated on what, what we want. Like I want to get this. Um, and if the, if the King says, no, I want you to have this, then, you know, our, we might have to take a step back and realize like, Oh, was I really fixated on one thing? Was I as open as I said I was going to be, you know? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think there are many situations in which we can fall into this. Yeah. The first one that comes up is typically relationships. Mm. Um, both men and women fall into the situation where this is the man or woman I'm going to marry. This is it. This is yeah. it. But you also say I'm open to God's will. <laughs> right. And then suddenly something happens in that relationship and you're like, oh my goodness. It's, it seems as if, again, your idol is crushed, as, as if suddenly that throne is empty. It's like, what do I do now that that relationship or that person is out of my life? Um, another one I'll kind of give him more of a personal one was, um, yeah, just plans for life, where you think your life is going. Mm-hmm. I know when I was like a little kid, I was like, oh, I'm going to go play college basketball for prison. Mm-hmm. And then that doesn't happen. It's like, oh man, you're left with a hole and you realize the hole that you're left with left with is a self-inflicted wound. Mm-hmm. You, you realize that this wound wouldn't be there had you kept the person who's supposed to be in the center there the entire time. You mm-hmm. start to realize that you replaced that person with this thing that you desired so badly. And now that it's taken away from you, you don't know where to go. You don't know who to go to. And suddenly you're left with this kind of deep emptiness and you have to figure out what, what you do with it. Um, and I think many, maybe not everyone's experienced this, but I, I would ex- expect that everyone's experienced this to some degree, uh, whether it's loss or whether it's disappointment or failure. Yeah. And you start to look at that as like your own value. And again, when we kind of self-worship ourselves mm-hmm. and we start to self-worship our own abilities and we fail you start to think well i am worthless you start to turn on yourself you start to lose your worth you start to lose your importance and then it's like what are you worshiping you start to worship almost the negativity of yourself mm-hmm. you start to worship the bad things within yourself um, but again that the reason that we suffer from this is most typically self-inflicted wounds because we replace christ the king with the king of whatever our heart becomes, whether it be a person, thing, achievement, success, money, fame, whatever. Yeah, dude, that's that's really good. Um, I think you just nailed it on the head. I mean, it's yeah, like that's that's the exact movement that we go through. Um, and uh, I think Augustine will uh, will help back you up a little bit on that. Um, he uh, he talks about this kind of like uh, if you want to think about like a chain a chain of being where like things are ordered in their proper place is um, a hierarchy of values to those things. And so like our will can turn towards um, our own private good in, you know, uh, desiring to be its own master. So like, I'm going to self-create, I'm going to, you know, by my own willpower, I'm going to do this, you know? 
Um, and that's a very American thing, you know, to kind of like just pick yourself up by your boots and be like, I'm going to do this myself. Like I can do this if I just will it hard enough. Um, I know we've talked about that before a bunch. Um, but uh, then what happens is exactly what you're saying is that like in doing that, we're trying to like rise above our place in the chain. Like I have, you know, I'm supposed to be here. Not on this, I'm not this link, I'm this link. I, I, I want to become God and being my own master. I don't need a king to rule me. I make myself this way um, through my and willpower. We, we live in a hierarchy based system too, where as humans, if you're at the bottom of the totem pole from the beginning of time, it has always been trying to work yourself up to the top of the totem pole. Yeah. We always want to become the person in charge. It's like when you have a job, you don't want to just be an entry level position your entire life. Eventually you want to be a manager and then right. you want to be a vice president and you want to be president and you want to be CEO or you want to own your own thing. And it can happen in the same way within the spiritual life of, mm -hmm. okay, I'm just kind of getting my feet wet, getting my roots ready. And suddenly you start to go, I want to be in charge of this great thing. Like, oh, I want to be in charge of my will. I want to be able to decide what comes of my life. And it doesn't matter the effects of it. Um, I want it to be subjective to my own desires, my own needs per se. Yeah. Like I want to be king. Um, and this isn't to say, right. Like don't hear what we're not saying as uh, the rector of our seminary likes to say a lot. Um, we're not saying that like your desire to like advance is bad. That's not, that's not the no, point here. It is not. Um, but right. Exactly what you said, like from the beginning of time. Okay. Uh, yeah. But where did that start? Right. This is where sin I think plays a big part. This is what sin looks like is that, I start to want to be my own king, Adam and Eve, like where did they sin? And that I wanted to become God. The serpent's like, hey, be like God, eat this thing. They're like, oh, really? That sounds nice. Give me that nice, uh, give me a nice piece of fruit over there. Um, and then lo and behold, 2000, or a lot longer than that, but you know, you get the point. It's carried on through time. So we still suffer with that today. And what happens is exactly what you said earlier is that, you know, we start to like um, uh, come to grips with like, you said worthlessness. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phrase it differently, um, but I think it's the same idea. It's that we come to recognize when we do, when we, okay, I'm going to play king right now. I'm, I'm going to be the master of my, my fate or whatever, which you are to a degree, but not in this sense. Um, we try to rise above our place and become king of our life to guarantee our own well-being, which we cannot do because we are created beings. Okay. Like the pencil that I use to draw cannot maintain itself. I have to maintain it as like the one who is above it. So same way we need a king to maintain our lives. But if we try to do it, we come to terms with the fact that we can't. And that's where we feel worthless and inadequate. And this is because of our poverty, because we're poor existentially, like me as a person and poor in comparison to the one who created me, who's rich and has the fullness who can provide for me. So we come to grips with our existential poverty and we can either do one of two things. We can accept it in obedience and put ourselves in the yoke of Christ, the King, or we can, you know, reject it. And that's where that exact thing that you said before, like we become anxious and floundering. And that's where the anxiety comes in. We're like, oh, you get really worried and frantic. And that's where a lot of anxiety in our lives come from, especially in the spiritual life. I mean, there's a, um, you know, clinical and biological anxiety that that's different, but um, I'm talking like spiritual anxiety and the kind of general anxiety that we feel as humans a lot of times is from this rejection of our, of our poverty and refusal to be obedient to the King. I couldn't agree more. And uh, the spiritual poverty that you speak of, it's interesting because you are faced with that two different roads that you can kind of dive down and um, 
obviously one will lead to more fulfillment and happiness, uh, but it's often the one that people don't choose. And I think the reason we don't choose it is just, it's very intimidating because it's accepting your littleness. It's accepting Mm -hmm. how inadequate you are without Christ the King. Yeah. And again, just, we are, today's culture has taught us to be self-sufficient independent beings who are in no need of any help or anyone else. Um, And it's just, I think it's in our human nature that we choose the path that kind of leads to our own, putting it on our own, putting the pressure on ourselves, which again, makes sense why it would lead to anxiety and floundering just because again, we're putting all of that pressure on ourselves when anything falls short of that. Again, it's only our fault. Um, Whereas we lean on Christ, the King, we understand our littleness. We understand our inadequacy but we understand that those aren't things to be sad about. Those are actually things to celebrate. Exactly. And one of the things that I've always kind of thought about with this whole idea of my inadequacy and my littleness, and I know we've talked about this a lot in the last six months with my own kind of spiritual musing muses um, and just understanding that my littleness and my inadequacy is celebrated by Christ the King. Mm -hmm. He looks down and says, look at my subject who needs me so greatly. I will provide for him. Yeah. Um, we, I think sometimes we hear Kings and Queens. We think of, uh, we think of parliament. We think of all these kind of tyrannical people who are evil and terrible rulers. Um, but when we actually think of Christ, the King, we have to understand that he's a self giving King. Yep. He's not a self serving King. Um, and that's one of the distinctions we have to make that Christ, the King as King looks down into his servants, his subjects, us with compassion and with mercy and love and provides to us what we need. And he fills the gaps of our poverty and fills the gaps yeah. of yeah. our inadequacy. Yeah. And if we weren't able to accept that inadequacy, if we weren't pover- impoverished, there'd be no need for Christ, the King. What good is a King to people who are able to rule and own themselves and do everything create for themselves there's no need for a king then yeah so this idea of we can be so frustrated with our inadequacy with our littleness with our failures but we realize no this is a beautiful thing and christ actually celebrates this because he knows how much that we need him and he desires to actually pour that out into us exactly yeah yeah i love what you said i mean it's it's christ rejoices in our um in our lowliness, um, and our poverty. Um, I think just made me think of Mary, right. In the Magnificat, she says, um, he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. And like, we could translate lowly as like his poor servant, um, materially and spiritually poor, but like, why does he rejoice in that? It's precisely what you said so that he can fill it. Right. Mary then becomes full of grace. Um, but if we're, if we're holding on to things and because we think that we can, you know, make for ourselves, I have no need to be filled up or I see no need for myself to be filled up. I do need to be filled, but I see no need of it because I'm holding on to this thing, you know, my idol. Um, you know, I had this image the other day in prayer um, of, you know, going into this, this massive banquet uh, hall of someone's house. Uh, you think of like Harry Potter, you know, they go into the great hall and all these, these tables are just filled with the sumptuous feast and all these delicious looking things. And it's, oh my gosh, look at this. And everyone's rejoicing, right? Everyone's so happy. And this image of like, okay, what if I walked in carrying like this, you know, small little Tupperware of my own food that I brought for myself, that I've never opened before. You know, I've just, I've just kind of held on to this thing. 
um, to preserve it for myself, right? I'm holding on to it because what's at stake is my well-being. Like you said before, it's like, why do we get anxious and and freak out? It's like, well, because what's at stake is our well-being. When we're the master, I'm now in charge of my well-being. Mm-hmm. And if I make the wrong choice, I do the wrong thing, my well-being is at stake. And I, as any human is, like we want our well-being, we want our happiness. And if that's at stake, that's a really big deal. So like, if you go in the Tupperware, like you're never going to let go of it. Cause like, oh, I know this is the thing that I've held on to for so long. That's like my source of of life and like it, it keeps me nourished even and, and the curiosity of wondering if I did open and, and eat out of it what would that really be like for me you know mm-hmm. um and it's there that then Christ can come and say you know as if you're about to go and eat and to to reject him to stop and stop you and um for those of you who've seen the chosen like that first episode where Christ stops Mary Magdalene from, from drinking this drink he says no that's not for you and we can think then what does he do afterwards that he brings us to the, this great feast of his body and his blood. Like, here's my body, here's my blood that will fill you up and that will nourish you and that will provide for your well-being spiritually. Um, Cause St. Bonaventure says no one can become blessed unless he ascends above his very self. Right. And we can't do that by ourselves, but only as he says with the heart and our heart is nourished by the heart of Jesus, both the blood and the body of his heart in the Eucharist. So it's kind of this, like, we have to let go of our idols so that we can be filled up. We need to be poor and accept our poverty so as to be filled up. Um, yeah. So that's any thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> Just mic drop. Yeah. No, I, one thing I'm actually reminded of with that, that idea of we can't be filled up if we're holding on to something else. And like, for me, I'm again, you and I are very big imagery persons. Yeah. And one of the images that comes to my mind is a bucket that you're mm. trying to fill yeah but it's filled with rocks instead and if you're trying to fill that bucket with water some water may trickle in mm-hmm. but you're not going to be able to fill it completely there's oil, those rocks are always going to be taking up too much space for you to fill it all the way mm. but if you take out those rocks suddenly you can fill the bucket to the brim full of water and yeah. you can interpret that water as god's love and his goodness but oftentimes we have to actually recognize and understand that there are rocks there we have to understand and kind of identify, okay, there are idols in my life yeah. that, are hold, that I'm holding on to, that hold weight within my mind, um, that are right now king in my heart. Mm-hmm. And if we're sitting here today and we're thinking, okay, yep, I know that this is an idol for me. It's not something to be necessarily saddened by um, or frustrated in. It's actually something to almost rejoice in because once we identify what those idols are, we can actually take action in removing them from their uh, place of honor, per se, in our hearts. And we can start to remove them and replace them with Christ. But it's going to be very tough for us to actively place Christ as king of our hearts without first understanding what those idols are and without first addressing them for what they are. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it, you, can't, you can't fight and you can't love but you don't know, but you can't fight what you don't know. Right. If you don't know, you're not going to know what you're, you're going after. So um, yeah. We, where does this start? Right. Is in, is in prayer. Like this has to be done in prayer. Um, and so I think as we move into Advent, we prepare, right. What is the, what is the whole season of Advent about um, our readings leading up to Advent or about the end of the end of the world, which is kind of depressing at times. You're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> end times are coming. Especially um, in 2020. It's like, is, yeah, is, you know, is, is, this is, <laughs> come, that, come on guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like the king is coming. That's the, that's like the message is the king mm-hmm. is coming. 
So are we ready for the king, right? We just had the reading the other week of the, the 10 virgins who are awaiting the coming of the king. And we have to wonder, am I ready? Am I ready for the king? So is behold, the bridegroom has arrived, like welcome him, go out to receive him. And if I'm holding on to something, if I have my idol, I'm not going to go out to receive him. I'm not going to, I'm going to miss him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to, we need to take this into prayer and to look at, okay, can I go to receive the bridegroom? Do I want to, is he, is he the center of my life? Is he the king? Um, and so as, the, as we look to Advent, it's important to look at, you know, what's the purpose as we do in Lent, the same thing. Like, why are we offering these penances? Why are we suffering? Well, it's because we're sharing in Christ and for the, the resurrection at the end. So for Advent, it's the king is coming and he's going to come. And so we're going to celebrate his birth come Christmas time. And we have to look at, okay, how did Jesus come into our world? Well, we didn't get to like choose it. He chose it. So we received him into the world. Um, and that's the first posture we need to adopt is one of receptivity. We need to receive the king instead of trying to be like, I'm going to tell you what you do, king. It's like, no, the peasant doesn't get to tell the king how to run the kingdom. The peasant accepts the terms of the king. And that's a whole other story of like dealing with, you know, when the king, you know, imposes a tax or, in, you know, does something that the peasant, no, that's not going to be good for me. It's like, well, actually it might be. Um, so here's the deal is that Jesus is coming and he's going to come as a little baby. And that's important for us to really like sit with him. Like he's going to come poor because he's God. And to come as a little baby human is just ludicrous. Like that doesn't make any sense. Um, and St. Paul says, right, that um, he humbles himself, taking the form of a slave and that he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. So he's not trying to grab at it. He is God. But he does not deem his equality with God something to be grasped at. Rather, he humbles himself, taking the form of a slave, a lowly servant, as Mary says. And so he allows uh, us to see this as great humility and obedience to the Father for us to model then. And so this is what we're trying to move to through Advent is how do I humble myself to become like this little baby child before the Father, obedient to his will through my life so that I can, uh, you know, follow him and all that he does. And see to my well-being like that's where we see to it by being obedient that's our act in this is i choose to be obedient to the father in my poverty so that he will provide for my well-being and that assures me that i will uh become blessed as saint bonaventure said and some consolation there is this isn't tomorrow we have time to prepare Yeah, right it's a cause for hope yeah it's, it's a cause for hope it really is um and we have time to prepare even like in the one physical sense of Christmas is right around the corner. We have a little bit over a month till then to prepare for this. Um, but again, this isn't the work of just a day. This isn't the work of a month. This is the work of a lifetime. And I think that's something that we always have to, we, you and I kind of always find our way, find ourselves uh, repeating that uh, yeah. for whatever reason. But <laughs> still, I think that is just like a very hopeful idea of understanding this message comes around every single year as a reminder to us it's not like he tells us once and 20 years later, he comes back and goes, Hey, how are you doing on that? <laughs> how, how's that? How's that working out for you? It's every single year we have this reminder and yeah. it's important for us to take this time every single year to actually, again, like you're saying, meditate with this, take this to prayer, understand this and kind of realign our hearts, realign our minds with where Christ actually lays. And mm-hmm. if it's not number one, it's Okay. But realign throw, that throw the rock out that is right yeah real realign that make him number one if he is number yeah. one awesome keep doing the thing you're doing <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's um 
it starts with uh it starts with prayer like we said like so this is a time to to go in and ask the lord like please shed your light um right a light has shone in the darkness shine your light on my heart so that i can see those those dark spaces if you want to use the rocks like the rock is casting a shadow okay take that take that rock out so the shadow will no longer be there in my heart that's keeping light away so allow your light to permeate all of my heart so i have you have to be king of all of my heart lord so please show me where these rocks are so we can get rid of them together um yeah so i think that's just a, a good little practical tip um for how to enter into this advent is look at uh going to prayer and look at these these places where there are shadows in your life and that's difficult but again like michael said like we have plenty plenty of time here um this comes over and over and over again well i'm pumped up (laughs) (laughs) honestly this is i I think i say it's every single week we're on together but very convicting for me i think this podcast is more for me than anyone else sometimes Uh, (laughs) it seems like you're speaking directly to me john um yeah is there anything else you had on christ the king before we close Uh, out here probably something i wanted to mention but i don't remember so that's okay Happens to the best of us. I've been yeah. there. Um, well, everyone, yeah, thank you for joining us again here at The Catch. Uh, before we go, got two quick uh, plugs to tell you about. First is Covenant Eyes. Uh, the link in the bio will give you a 30-day free trial there. If you or anyone you know is struggling with ties to pornography, they have concrete ways that can help you fight that. And the second one is from our good friends, Adam and Mick over at Bishop Sheen Rosaries. If you're looking for a nice Christmas gift for a loved one or a friend, they have really high quality, durable rosaries that are also really cool looking, I must admit. So make sure to go check them out in the link in the bio and use the use the promo code that is also included for 10% discount. Sorry, mind blank. But either way, thank you guys for listening to us. Uh, have a good week. Have a good Monday. But until next time, we will uh, see you later. Peace.